Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cripple Stump. And as per usual, we have another guest with me here today, and he's called Bernard. And I'll, I'll throw it over to him to introduce himself. So over to you, Bernard. Hello, uh, Shabazz. Hello, everybody. Um, my name's Bernard Leach. I'm um, retired now. And um, I'm involved in various things. And in my past, I've been involved a lot in um, disability sport and disability politics. And I think that's possibly the reason why Shabazz wanted to have a conversation with me. But uh, more will emerge as we talk about things, I think. Yeah. And that was indeed one of the driving reasons why I asked you on and you gracefully gracefully accepted. So just to kick us off, I just wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think of the Paralympics? Honestly. <laughs> um, I don't like being too negative about things. But I've got a lot of criticisms about the Paralympics and about the way in which disability sport is organized generally, but especially at the elite level. Because just to give a bit of background as to why I'm interested in them is that in 1981, which is a long time ago, <laughs> I was um, I went down with a, a group of disabled people from Manchester Disabled Athletes, which is where I live. And I'd had polio when I was a baby which had left me with a, um, a, a very weakened right leg and hip. And um, I was able to compete in the um, national championships. And subsequent to that, that in swimming, I've always liked swimming and I've always been swimming. And uh, in, I was selected then to be in the, uh, the Great British International Team, uh, which I eventually um, we might come on to this in more detail. I eventually withdrew from because of the participation of a South African team at the time. Anyway, so that's led to my interest in, in um, disability sports. Since then, I haven't been involved in anything at an international level because I was more or less um, uh, um, banned or um, sort of washed, washed away from the, the, the international sports scene because of my uh, challenging what was going on at Stoke Mandeville, which is where the games were held in 1981. But since then, I've kept uh, I've kept an eye on it because I, I have been involved in disability politics for quite a long time. I was um, I was a member of the Union of Physically Impaired Against Segregation. Uh, then the um, helped set up the Greater Manchester Coalition of Disabled People, and I've been involved in all sorts of campaigns on disability front and so the the swimming and the athletics didn't seem to have any personal interest to me from the disability sports point of view but i, I kept an eye on it and i kept a, a a critical eye on what was going on in it and my current view of it of paralympics which is a very long way around to coming to asking answering your question is that i i think it's got blown up to a proportion where it's actually possibly, possibly doing more harm than good. Um, I'm not, I'm not questioning the the commitment of the individual uh, athletes who are participating in the Paralympics, and I'm sure they've been through very hard training and very hard um, requirements on their own lives in order to be able to participate. But the actual organisation of it and why it run is run as it is, I am very dubious about. Yeah, I just just a question that came to mind, really a thought, really, is why, in your opinion, why do you think we don't learn from history as people? You mean generally or specifically in relation to disability politics or sport? just generally and simply in disability, like just in general, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> why don't we learn from history? Well, you could you could ask that of the American government currently, can't you, yeah. with their um, the their problems they're having in it with the withdrawal from Afghanistan? Why why do we not learn things like that? 
And I think in, to a certain extent, each generation has to make their own mistakes mm -hmm. and find it very difficult to think that anything happened before is going to influence what they do now. Though, of course, I think as you grow older, you will become a little bit more aware that um, you've seen things happen before and you can see them still happening and not much seems to change, which can be very frustrating. Mm. So I just think it's human nature. Getting lessons from history is a difficult one. You might take the wrong lessons as well. And it's yeah. easy in retrospect to, to work out what those wrong turns were, but not while you're actually going through them. Because I'll tell you a little example of why I'm asking this was like, you know, I was watching Steve Coogan's, one of his early shows, Knowing Me, Knowing You. I was watching yeah. the Christmas special, right? And in and in that recently, and in that recently, there was a disabled character, yeah. And I know what struck me, and this was in the mid nineties, right? What struck me is the 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 attitudes to the disabled character were pretty good, and like I'm like, well, why why doesn't stuff like that get built on? You know, instead of like. To me, I feel like we just keep running the, the same race over and over again. And it's like we don't build on anything and improve on anything. And, I, yeah, that's why I'm just thinking about that. I'm just thinking, you've been around for a long time. You've probably seen all of this. And, and it's like, yeah, it just winds me up that it... That, that it things go all the way they do. Um, yeah, and I, I think the thing as well is that whilst the Paralympics and those type of things is taken as an example of how far we've progressed, at the same time that those are going on, disabled people have been faced with more cuts than any other group in society, especially since the pandemic. And yet there's not really the same attention paid to that. And though groups like Disabled People Against the Cuts are forever trying to highlight these things. And yet things that we campaigned against years and years ago, and which we thought we'd improved on, it's if you like, it's you go forward a bit and then you go backwards even further. And yeah. I think disabled people are in, uh, currently in a very, very bad position overall. Yeah, and what were, what were your thoughts on the Olympics in 2012, you know? Uh, the ones in the UK, the, the yeah. ones in London? Yeah. Well, kind of mixed. Uh, I mean, I, I quite like the uh, the opening where they had the hospital beds and things like that, and as a tribute yeah. to the NHS. Um, but overall, I find myself getting bound up in these things of keep looking at the medals tables yeah. and um, seeing how many how many medals the UK has won and oh can we get up the table and are we second or are we third or are we fourth or whatever it yeah. is in the in the tables and I still do that now I don't, I don't know why maybe it's because I'm a football supporter as well and that's the way I look at football but it in terms it was at that time that I I started to really question it and to um to actually talk to other disabled people about the whole way in which it was taken that this was going to be a real change in the perception of disabled people. And there's one um, statistic that I came across, which I think really marks this out. And this is from uh, 2015. The number of disabled people participating regularly in sporting activity has fallen since the 2012 Paralympic Games. It's fallen. Yeah. You know, and, and yet there's a kind of, even even on Channel 4, who do pretty good coverage of disability issues in some ways, they seem to have bought into this, um, aren't we doing marvellously and haven't we got a bigger and better coverage than we've ever had of it? But there's no real questioning of what's going on behind it. No. And I, I feel like they're complicit in uh, the whole thing. And... And I get really annoyed with the whole idea of, you know, legacies of games and all this kind of stuff. The legacy of 2012 Olympics has been massive cuts for disabled people. The backward step of living standards for disabled people. 
So I don't know when the idea that, oh, we need to have the Olympics because they'll leave us a great legacy. It hasn't changed people's attitudes towards disability at all, as far as I can see. Well, apparently there, there are now more hate crimes against disabled people than there ever have been. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was calculated that um, over the last 10 years, it's disabled people who were targeted to take the greatest hits in terms of cuts, with tens of billions of pounds being pulled from disability benefits to housing and social care provision. And compared with the average citizen, the most severe disabled people have hit, been hit a staggering 19 times harder than the general population. It's, it's not just that we've been suffering cuts like everybody else. Disabled people have been suffering far greater cuts than anybody else. Yeah. And this yeah. is going on whilst we pat ourselves on the back for having improved the number of disabled presenters on TV. Yeah. And isn't it quite something that one of the lasting legacies that I can see of the 2012 Olympics has been the TV show, The Last Leg? You know, we, we've got that and people think that's some sort of level of success. While meanwhile, people are, thousands of people are dying because cause their benefits are being cut and stuff like that. Well, and during the pandemic... It's um, one of the um, ONS studies, the national statistics, that in England between um, January 2020 and February 21, 105,200 people died from causes involving COVID-19, yeah. of whom 61,000 were disabled. That's almost 60% of all deaths were disabled people. Yeah. I, I well, heard that's not this. That's noticed much, is it? No, I heard a statistic yesterday, like six out of ten deaths uh, during the pandemic have been disabled people. Six out of ten. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right, that's right. Ridiculous. So that's where we're at. Yeah. So can we go back into your, your um, history a bit now in terms of your involvement in sport mm -hmm. and your... The, issues in South Africa and stuff. Can we go into that? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, happy to do that. The, well, the, <laughs> I originally got involved. I, as I said, I did some swimming because when you can't walk very far, swimming mm. and your legs are the problem. Swimming is a great activity to have to try and keep yourself reasonably fit. So I've always done a bit of swimming. Um, but then it was in the late 1970s and I was I was walking through Moss Side in Manchester with a friend and my my stepdaughter who was on skates at that time when a, a car pulled up I thought what's this about and then somebody wound down their wind windscreen with great difficulty they didn't have electric ones then and this this guy leaned out and he says excuse me I happen to know that you'd had polio I was quite impressed by that. Not only did he notice that I walked uh, funny, but it was a polio walk. So uh, he gave me, he, he said he was chair of a Manchester Disabled Athletes. He had polio himself. He was much more severely than I had. And he, he wrote down his telephone number. I rang him up and I started going to Manchester Disabled Athletes. Yeah. Now, this was an unusual athletics club in that it was run by disabled people who took no nonsense. And just the week that I went there, they just thrown out a BBC crew who they thought were doing a patronising um, piece about them. They were, they were kind of quite politically aware and wouldn't take nonsense from anybody. And it's with them that I went down to Stoke Mandeville. And it's with them that I then got, um, uh, got to be... Uh, um, selected for the great british the great britain team for swimming and off my own bat because i'd already been politically involved i was involved in teaching shop stewards um health and safety courses and things like that so i was very much politically aware already and i suddenly thought i don't like this setup it's paternalistic ludwig gutman the guy who'd been organizing had died the previous year but it was run along his lines and it was very top down organized and you had to do what you say 
And I, I just didn't like the feel of the place at all. That is in Stoke Mandeville. Yeah. And so I researched on it a bit and I found out that the, uh, the internationals that were going to happen that year, there was a South African team participating. Now, not many people can remember this at <laughs> my age, but there was something called the Glen Eagles Agreement, which had been signed by Commonwealth um, countries, which banned South African athletes from all sports because of the apartheid regime. But they didn't ban the disabled participants of Stoke Mandeville, I think, for patronising re reasons. Oh, look, we can't be unfair on poor disabled people. Let them participate. Well, I contacted anti-apartheid in London and they said, what? You, you, you want to withdraw from those games? Don't do it yet. They've been running a campaign against this for a, a couple of years. And so it, they organized a press conference in London where I went down and publicly withdrew from the games and crit criticized the whole way in which they were allowing um, disabled people to be used by an apartheid regime. And that's that's was obviously I heard no more from Stoke Mandeville. I was <laughs> certainly not a popular person down there. And we held we held I was at um, various demonstrations against the internationals. And it took us, I think, three or four years before eventually we got the South Africans banned. Now, having been involved in a lot of campaigns, most of the campaigns I've been involved in have been <laughs> have not succeeded like against factory closures and things like that. But this one, we actually succeeded and got them got them banned. And then I was involved in a, uh, a group called Disabled People Against Apartheid, which continued to, to uh, protest against the conditions that disabled people found themselves in South Africa, which was appalling, of course. Um, and since then, we just one thing that happened after that, which I thought was quite interesting, it was whilst this was going on, Manchester City Town Hall, which was run by a fairly left-wing Labour council, was holding anti-apartheid meetings in an inaccessible building. So we picketed it, disabled people picketed it, it was a town hall which was inaccessible, and said, you're doing to disable, this is apartheid for disabled people. We can't get into that meeting, which is an anti-apartheid meeting. They were so embarrassed by that, so embarrassed by that. They yeah. offered to carry us up the steps and all sorts of things. Yeah. But that wasn't the point. And eventually that led to a huge amount of money being spent on making the town hall fully accessible. And again, that was another campaign that we were really very successful at. And the Disabled People's Campaign in Manchester for several years was real a real leader in developments there. So, so what does it feel like to win a campaign then? Have you not been involved in ones that have one? No, not really. It's like, I just thought I'd get uh, the flavour of what it's like on the other side. So what does that do you feel like? Well, it's uh, when you've been like with the stopping them participation at Stoke Mandeville Games and the Paralympics and so on. We were very much in a minority. You know, we'd, we'd get all sorts of abuse as well when we were doing it. And when it eventually happened, it was well, it wasn't an anticlimax, but we think, oh, thank goodness that's eventually happened. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's relief, really. And, and just pleased that something's actually turned out right for once. And the the you know, the, so the effects of it, and most importantly for the Manchester ones, was that we we on the back of the campaigning that we did, not just based around the anti-partime, but all the all the inaccessible meetings that were being held by a seemingly sympathetic council eventually led them to really taking access issues very, very seriously. Yeah. So that was good. And that was a long term effect. So did you ever compete in the Paralympics? No, no, that was it. That was that was the end of my, my swimming career. And just because you took a stand? Yeah. I wasn't the only one. A couple of years previously, there'd been a, a table tennis player, Maggie Jones from Scotland. Yeah, who had handed out anti-apartheid leaflets at uh, uh, um, the Stoke Mandeville Games that year. She was unceremoniously thrown out of the um, thrown out of the games and banned from all um, uh, competing in any national or international games. And that's as far as I know was the last time she competed in anything. She was absolutely 
banned from the lot and she was much more involved in it than I was. I, I'd been, very, as I say, from the start, very suspicious of the whole setup and I didn't know whether I really wanted to get involved anyway because of the way it was organised. Yeah. But um, that's what happened. Did the game go ahead that year? Oh, yeah. They went ahead every year. Um, we we had a confrontation. There's a there's actually a Channel 4 news item that's still up of us confronting these 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 South Africans who came out to say, oh, what are you doing here? You know, and this sort of thing. And um, with Vic Finkelstein there, who was South African himself and a very famous disabled uh, campaigner who's died a few years ago, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, he was there and, and complaining and countering their arguments with his usual cutting wit. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, how how the Paralympics has been co-opted by capitalism uh, and uh, the, you know, the, the superhuman element. And, yeah, you know, yeah, it, it's an in, yeah, it's an interesting one, that. Um, well, first of all, the idea that you're, you're, you're dealing just with high performance sports elite mm. means an awful lot of money is going towards this top level with the emphasis, just as it is in the Olympic Games, on getting, getting gold medals. Yeah. And that's how the money is distributed. But the, the money for grassroots organizations hasn't increased. It's probably, I think it's been cut overall. Yeah. So the, the all it means there's a huge amount of uh, lottery money has gone to funding these elite sports, and it, to and, and but it's not just that it's the fact that the the sports themselves are defined by two things: one is the classification system, and the second one is technology. Now, are you aware of the classification system? Yeah. <laughs> what do you know about it? Not a great deal, but like I've read your paper on it, and I've know I've been around wheelchair basketball a bit, and I, I've looked into a few of the sports, but it's really convoluted and it's really <laughs> like bizarre, you know. It's like like I think you said it's like it's like somebody like Atos do it or something like that. It's like it's like yeah, they they um Atos no were involved in the they're involved in the classification just at the same time as they've um been involved in cutting people's benefits and things like that as well. Yeah. It's a very strange combination. They they uh, they publicize themselves at the Paralympics. Yeah. That, there's yeah. that. There's the, the the classification system. There are all sorts of problems with it. And in fact, there was a panorama program on it a couple of months ago called Paralympics, the unfair games, question mark. And in that, they look in detail, interviewing some of the people, some of the people involved about the problems with classification, where they can change very, very quickly, because they cut out those sports where they feel they're not going to be that sort of telegenic. Yeah. You know, ones where somebody is, there are not that many people involved in it. They're, they're forever trimming the number of classifications that can be used in order to focus on the ones that will be popular. And if you look at the ones that are popular, when you think of Paralympics, what do you usually think of? Uh, the, 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 the wheelchair racing or, or the swimming yeah. or, you know, only one or two sports, really. Yeah, it's those it's those two sports, isn't it? Not just wheelchair racing, but I think wheelchair basketball is also very popular. Yeah, yeah. And the swimming, um, the, a bit of the athletics. Yeah. But the, yeah. if you look at it, only between five to seven percent of dis disabled population are wheelchair users. No. Now, I'm not I'm not saying there is every reason for people in wheelchairs to be able to participate in sport, and that of course that's really good. But the, the emphasis on it is very much part of the history of the Paralympics, which was, of course, in the year, just the years following the, the end of, of <coughs> during and after World War Two, when it was disabled servicemen who um, they were looking at how to, they could rehabilitate them and give them a sort of a, a purpose in life after they'd be, been made paraplegic or whatever. 
And again, nothing wrong with that. But, <coughs> but that history is, is, has followed on from that. And that's why there's a, such a big emphasis on those disabilities. I mean, not all disabilities are included. And um, in fact, quite a lot aren't. And the, that's one of, the, one of the great problems. And also people who find themselves de-qualified one of those who was interviewed for this panorama thing said he was thinking of having a leg amputated so he could compete in the the, the class he wanted to be classified as. Yeah, which is uh, a bit radical, really, isn't it? I I saw a YouTube thing the other the other day was about a Spanish basketball team. Uh, they 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 faked having a intellectual disability to get uh, contracts. Uh, you know. They got the the they faked IQ tests and stuff like that to get into a team so it, they could get earn money off the government and stuff like that, get contracts. <laughs> yes, that was a very famous um, swindle that happened, and of course they were they were sent home in disgrace. Yeah, and it, it's one of the problems because if the, the, there's something there's a classification category they use called complex regional pain syndrome all right and that's very hard to actually define and to be able to test it very clearly because of course when people are being tested there are very scientific things that can be done yeah. but a lot of it is about the effort that people put in yeah and um people often say that they'll go for a cold baths and not and not um and, and go cold and shivering and whatever so that they they they're aiming for the the most favorable classification they can get now i know that the classification system is they spend an awful lot of time trying to avoid getting people wrongly categorized yeah. but there's always going to be a problem when you allow in a certain category of people who hadn't been there before they'll come in with this new classification and the people who've been been uh, racing against each other suddenly find out that they're all wiped out by this new classification who've um, who are, if you like significantly less disabled than they are so there are big big problems with classification yeah. and they're not going away and there's a lot of um, a lot of upset going on about it the one thing that slightly disappoints me about the current Paralympians is compared with the group I was involved in in the 1980s there doesn't seem to be much politics there they might they might occasionally make an, a, one or two comments about it but they they seem to accept the status quo and they're just in it for themselves as individuals yeah. again nothing wrong against that in principle but it, it'd be lovely to see some sort of um more radical grouping come out of this yeah uh and and i don't know if you know but you probably do know but uh, and i've spoken to tanny gray thompson myself and she's in the House of Lords, and she's got very, what I see is very little, you know, that interest in politics as per se. I, I, I would argue, she, if she were here, she'd probably disagree, but where, I mean, the conversations I've had with her, she doesn't seem that radical to me. And, and uh, you know, in terms of other Paralympians, they don't seem like, and anybody on the TV or whatever, they don't seem like they're that politically uh, active or anything like that. Everybody's just trying to make make a living, and and as soon as you get politics involved, people are like, we don't want to touch that with a barge ball because it, it affects me putting food on the table or it affects my career yeah well it, i don't know whether their contracts are still the same yeah. but when i signed up to be in the gb the great britain team it said you're not allowed to engage in any political comments at all yeah and so if anybody did that they're liable to be just banned there and then yeah. but it it would be good to have the equivalent of um some you know with the bending the knee within um, American football and then yeah. you know, follow by football. It would have been good to have something equivalent to that, wouldn't it, in the disability sports? Yeah, but I don't see it happening. Because I just remember George Osborne getting booed in 2012. <laughs> That's the closest thing I can remember anything like that happening. You know, 
that's, that's right yeah very famous moment yeah but that's like they're, they're very few and far between and I was, this is this is a tall order but i was gonna say to to you if me and you were designing a classification system where would we begin my personal view on this yeah is i wouldn't bother right by that i mean I think it's it's really good. Like when I go swimming, I'm with a group of people in Moss Side who just happen to meet there in the mornings. Yeah. And if there's somebody who's roughly the same speed as me at swimming, I'll kind of race him. We'll race each other, yeah. which is a fantastic incentive to do a bit better. Yeah. But I'm not bothered whether I win or not. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I I do I still do eighty lengths every day and um i really enjoy it but i'm not doing it to win anything no. and I, I really don't think it's something that we sh should be that fussed about if people want to organize races between like like groups of people then they could do it now take for example um wheelchair basketball yeah do you know how that's classified uh the love of point system and, and an able-bodied person is a is a one-point player or a five-point player can't remember which way around it is, but yeah, the five-point player, yeah, yeah. So, and a certain number of, uh, of you, you can have a certain number of points on the court, so that's how it's classified. But it still doesn't seem very fair, that. Well, I can understand why they're doing it because, in a way, you could think that yes. Yeah, so the 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 ones who are the um, the least disabled, that is, they've got full full ability from the waist up. Then yeah. they're classified as being the ones who, um, I think it's a T, a T five or something like that. They have a higher number. Yeah. Those who are the most disabled had a low number, and at any one point with the five people on court, you can only have a maximum of I think it's fourteen points. Yeah. So what? Now I can see that happening, but but there again, you could say, well, why why can't able-bodied people participate in? wheelchair basketball yeah you could yeah i mean they they could have their i mean that that if you like would be the freestyle the, you, anybody could have anything in that one but then the others with different different levels of ability they could play or they they could get involved in it it doesn't need to have to be something where there are there's money involved at the end of it which is one of the problems with the the Paralympian thing is that if you get on the team and you're sponsored, it yeah. means that you, you're going to be able to make a, a living out of it for the period that you're a competing athlete, which is perfectly valid in the current system. I understand why people do that. Yeah. But the, the other point I wanted to come on to as well in term, that terms is the role that technology is playing nowadays. Yeah. Now, I'm sure you remember the, um, um, the, the use of blades and Blade Runner oscar pretorius i think yeah i wanted to come on to him in a minute but carry oh, on. on then you're asking about him now i'm gonna ask you about that do you think in terms of uh, oscar pretorius regardless of his case or whatever do you think he was good or bad for paralympics um yes it's a it's an interesting one that isn't it because Actually, people on blades now, these carbon fiber blades, which have got 80 different layers on them, apparently, yeah. they're and they're, they're tailored to each individual. Yeah. He complained yeah. because he didn't win in the 2012 um, uh, Paralympics. That it was because the guy who did win had longer blades. Yeah. And uh, so he was very he was very annoyed at that. But the. The fact is they're all individually made depending on the size of the but it means that anybody who's competing with that is usually about four inches taller than they normally are so that is really strange and there's also the fact that they could it could develop i don't know whether it already has where they would be faster than fully able-bodied um sprinters should they be therefore be allowed to compete in the the olympics because of that and i th i think it's there's nothing wrong with uh, amputees um, racing with the um, the addition of these carbon fiber blades, but I think having competitions based around the technology and who can afford the best top technology is a, a rather strange path to go down. Isn't there it? Is another... Sorry, go on. 
Sorry, well, the, the other thing is that um, what about the wheelchairs that people use now? Yeah. You know, they, they, they only weigh between, uh, I think it is, what is it, about six kilograms, six to ten kilograms. And the BMW racing chair, which is made by the German car firm, they're, um, they're racing chairs, not the basketball ones, they're racing chairs if you're going in for a marathon or something like that. They cost a re in the region of £20,000 each. Yeah. Well, that kind of rather excludes a few people, doesn't it? When you yeah. have to pay that sort of amount. I mean, not all of them are that expensive. That is a, definitely the most expensive end. They normally cost about half that or even less. But even so, you can see why it's it's mainly the um, the advanced Western countries that do well within the Paralympics. I mean, it's it's the current table I see that we've just been demoted, if you want to say, from second to third with the Russian um, Paralympic Committee representatives now in second place after China. But it's still all those who've, who've spent a lot developing these that are, are going to compete. Yeah, and I don't know what the Russian disabled living standard is, but I can't imagine it being that great. Well, yeah, but they've they've uh, they've done well, so they must be spending some money on developing it, yeah. which is, I suppose, fair enough to them. And um, yeah, but I was just going to say, with the, all the technology and stuff, isn't it just another form of doping? Oh, um, techno doping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they there's a lot of academic papers done about this because they love this sort of thing. And what do they call it? The cyborg cyborgification of yeah. the paralympics as a form of transhumanism um the use of, of technology to extend human capabilities but i think it is it is radical technology that's going on and i don't there's very little talked about it actually i i did have a look to see what was currently being said about all this and the differential way in which different people with ability to attract the funding and the sponsorship to be able to get the really tech, good technology, how well they do compared with those who can't afford it. There's none of that in the, um, in, in, in the broadcasting that I can see, or even in, in any paper, newspaper articles about it. it, just seems to have been forgotten for the time do, being. Do you think it's just predominantly about money and nobody wants to get in the way of anybody else making any money? making a living if you were to put it that way well i think the paralympics committee a bit like the olympics committee um is very much focused on making sure that their games are, are popular and remain popular i remember the olympics in japan was against wildly against japanese public opinion they didn't want it there because yeah. of the pandemic that was going on surrounding it but the yeah. They'd invested so much into it that they couldn't um, drop out of it. And the, the sheer cost of putting on these games each, uh, every four years is huge, of course. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, money, money is a big cause of it. Money is a big cause. And I, I think it would be right to spend more money on uh, encouraging um, local sports. I think local disabled basketball, uh, uh, um, wheelchair basketball users I think it's great that it sounds like it seems like a really good game to be playing and I think that should be encouraged at a local level but there isn't the there isn't the infrastructure to support much going back to ask of the stories so do you think he was good for the Paralympic movement or not um well, it seems to it seems to have come and gone that particular issue, didn't it? It was a big deal in two thousand and twelve. Yeah. But have you seen that much spoken about it since? No. Every now and then it comes up, especially around the Paralympics. I've heard a few shows about it and stuff, and like, and now the now the people are talking about it as if like he it wasn't fair anyway. You know, it's played with too long or this that or the other end. They started to re-question it now, but, you know, at the time there was a, because he was so marketable and this, that, and the other, and he seemed to speak well and all this kind of thing, nobody wanted to stop the whole thing, you know? 
And then, of course, he got accused of, what was it? Murder. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of sensational, wasn't it? So he came back onto the to the public in, interest at that point. Yeah. But since then, there's been not that much on it, I've, I've found. But as you say, occasionally, when this comes around, they might talk about the... the, um, the, the it's such a good phrase, isn't it? Blade Runner. Yeah. It, it evokes science fiction and all that. So. Yeah. About so, it. so where where do you think the Paralympics will be in twenty years' time? Like, what state do you think it'll be in? Good question. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm glad I managed to ask you one good question at least. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. I think it will continue in the same way that it does. As I said, when I I used to go to the. Um, the Aquatic Centre in Manchester, which is the centre for the disabled swimmers yeah. who are in the Paralympic squad. Yeah. And, you know, so I'd occasionally pass them and I, I felt like asking them, but I never did. You know, what, what do you think about all this sort of stuff? I'm sure they would have probably seen, well, who are you to be talking to us about it? But anyway, I didn't. But it does seem a bit sad that there isn't that more a bit more awareness of some of the issues. I mean, David Howe, who's uh, an ex-Paralympian, and now an academic, he argues that the the classification system uh, helps to control athletes because it's a, a medical practice that is classifying you, conducted mostly by able-bodied people, that leads to the stigmatization and alienation because it ultimately creates a hierarchy of bodies. And I think there's um, there's maybe some truth in that. The classification system is the heart of its the heart of its what it is and the heart of its problems too and i don't think that's going to go away easily yeah so who knows what will happen there and i do think it it does become like inspirational inspiration porn in one sense because you know as a disabled person myself you see people looking at you and uh, these superhuman disabled people or any kind of gifted disabled person, and the people around you will. Well, why can't you do that? You know, <laughs> you know. What is that? Why, why can't my Why can't my dog sing? You know that kind of thing. It really fucks me up. You, you're dead right with that. I mean, there, there is always an image that that you've got these superhero, superhero disabled yeah. people who've who've managed to. You know, if. If they can climb Everest without any legs, why can't you? Sort of thing. And yeah. on the other hand, there's the 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 image which is still there of the slightly pathetic cripple, which they um, yeah. You, know, you you don't have those boxes outside of shops of people with calipers on, which they had when I was a kid. No. But they um, uh, and I think they've got a little bit wiser to not being so obvious about it. Yeah. I, I certainly remember when um, the spastic society was called the spastic society and refused to change their name for several years even though the um um pe people with cerebral palsy wanted it changed yeah so it takes a long time to change people's attitudes like that well, and i think yeah, right the, the the problem is of the the expectations it makes of disabled people are unrealistic yeah and it's like this might be a controversial view but i sometimes start to think well should 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 scope still be called the spastic society because you know with it being called scope it's such a comforting word and it's like it doesn't mean anything you know it's like you know it could be it could be anything it's like they get rid of dla for pip and it's getting you get rid of the word disabled out of it you know what i mean that's a very fair point yeah. I mean, there, there was another there was another organisation in Manchester. I've forgotten what it's called now, but it used to be called the Cripples Help Society. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you're right. Maybe maybe they should have kept the name and kept kept their origins obvious. I mean, yeah, because it just makes it like disconnected to what it actually is, and then you start, you, you know, you people can do whatever they want with it. Then, yeah, yeah, they that yes, it, it's. Just changing your terminology doesn't make it any necessarily better. Yeah. If anything, you need sharper edges rather than blunter edges. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
while I've got you here, uh, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about your swimming career and whether it's led you to become a better person or anything like that, you know, <laughs> or any more than you would have become anyway? Or <laughs> Well, as I say, it's it's given me a real love of swimming. And I go swimming, I went this morning, I go almost, well, at least five times a week. Yeah. And I love it and it keeps it keeps me... I'm what 74 now and uh, I, I still do a lot of swimming every day and I really enjoy it and the people I meet there are really nice and um, down at Moss Side which is a wonderful pool and that's great and I don't feel bad about what happened at all I was really pleased that my participation which I was dubious about in the first place because of its paternalism actually led to a positive outcome which was the um, which was uh, stopping the apartheid regime getting the publicity of having their teams at Stoke Mandeville. One little outcome of that, which I, I just remembered, is the, un, the only fame I got out of that, other than the press coverage at the time, was um, uh, Brixton in London, Brixton Community, um, no, Brixton Labour Party and the local Communist Party had a swimming gala that I was invited to give the prizes out to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this is fame at last. Yeah, uh, it must have been the only people who noticed what I'd done. <laughs> so, so you don't dream of yourself standing on the podium anytime? No, 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 no. It wasn't a problem at all. I had no problems with that at all. I was, I was pl- pleased to see the back of it. What I thought was a, um, a system that was, as I said, very paternalistic and a top-down organised. And I was always in favour from that time onwards of disabled led organizations of which there are still some some very important ones going like disabled people against the cuts who i think are doing a fantastic job would you have ever coached a prospective paralympic athlete if they would have come to you i can't see that they ever come to me because it the the curse it would be a kiss of death if they did because they think what him no no way you participating if you're associated with him but if they did it's like actually last week i was in, i was in the pool and there was a, this guy in the same lane as me and he was thrashing around doing a crawl which is what i'd swim and he was obviously very very powerful but his stroke was terrible and so i was overtaking him occasionally and at the end of it i got out and i saw him in the shower and i said have you had polio <laughs> and he said yes I think he was from Pakistan and he'd, he'd got it much more recently than I did. But yeah. he had it in the same leg with the same effect. I said, look, if we meet in the pool again, I'll show you how to use that upper body strength that you've obviously got and you'll end up beating me. Yeah. So maybe I'll meet him next week and we'll do that. So is that a case of history going to repeat itself, do you think? Are you me, the guy rolling the, the window now? Will he be my protege in the Paralympics? I don't know. Let's see, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Are you, is that you in 1981? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? So mm. is, is, there, is there anything else that you would like to say while you're here? Before we close? Uh, well, uh, just I think the, the history of the disabled people's movement from the 1980s onwards, especially certainly deserves tracking for the let you, you you started off saying about lessons from history and i think there are still a lot of pe- a lot of learning that we could do the the current people involved in in um, disabled con- uh, organizations controlled by disabled people there's a lot that can be learned from the lessons that we we got during those years about what worked and what didn't work and so yes there are ways in which we can still learn from history and i think that's a worthwhile line to follow uh, and and do you do you like sharing your wealth of knowledge that you have or do you find it uh irritating or what what what's your feeling well, on that i've not been particularly involved uh, though i was involved in a campaign in manchester this last year which is still going um about the um, peterloo monument to yeah. the uh, the events in um uh, Manchester 200 years ago when people yeah. got kill, uh, cut down by the local militia and of course but that and a lot of disabled people were involved or became disabled because of it and yet the monument that they created 
um, was not accessible. Yeah. So there's a campaign about that. So there's still campaigns I'm involved in, but by and large, I've, um, like with lots of organizations, organizations split, people go there off different directions. And I just felt there were other things in my life I wanted to focus on. And have you ever, and have you ever visited South Africa? <laughs> no, I've never visited Africa. Have you? No, no. I just wondered with your, uh, uh, your history of South Africa, I wondered whether you were ever tempted to go and visit and see what it was like you like. Well, maybe, but I'm not very good at traveling anymore. So I've, I've long given up traveling abroad. And yeah. especially at the moment, it's difficult to do. Yeah. Also, I don't think they particularly, I don't think what I did was particularly noticed by many people. Yeah. Which is okay. It was only a very minor contribution to the campaign, but I'm glad I made it, nevertheless. Yeah. So you don't have any, there's no regret about anything. Not uh, at all, no. No. Not, not even the way this women turned out or anything like that. No. Could, could you give me, before we finish, could you give me an insight of what it's like, uh, what you feel before you have to start a race? Well, the few races I was involved in, I wasn't I wasn't involved for very long. Yeah, it's um, I think what is in well doing a swimming race anyway because I've um not done many of those. But the um, I think what's surprising is that once you get swimming, it's very difficult to hear the crowd because <laughs> your head's right. underwater. <laughs> yeah, but it, it certainly get you certainly gets your adrenaline going. You know, you really give it your all. Yeah, because it's just the the. Every well, most people have a competitive nature in them, and if you feel you can do better, you'll you'll try and get that last bit of energy that you've done. So yeah, it was it was quite quite rewarding, especially when you win. Yeah. <laughs> All right then, thank you. Uh, uh, I think that's a good place to end on winning. Yep. You know, <laughs> we've all got to learn to win like you do. Really. Uh, I'll okay, have to. well, thank you as well. And um, yeah, speak uh, to you again. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.